Hi, welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. My name is Dave Pryor. Before we get started with the podcast, there's a couple things I just want to mention. Uh, one is that we've got a lot of upcoming certified Scrum Master and certified Scrum Product Owner classes. They're going to be taking place in Washington, D.C., Philly, Atlanta, New York, Dallas, San Francisco, and Baltimore. And if you're interested in learning more about those classes or when they're going to happen in your area, you can go to leadingagile.com slash training, and I will include a link to that in the show notes. And I also want to mention that one of the things we're trying to do with the podcast now is to include questions from listeners or students in the class. So if you're somebody who listens to the podcast and you've got a question about some aspect of Agile or something you're trying to do, you can send it to me, dave.prior at leadingagile.com. And my last name is spelled P-R. IOR. You can send it just as text in an email, or you can send an audio recording, which we'd use in the podcast, or video, uh, which we could could use as well. Um, so I'd encourage anybody who's got questions, send it in, and it will be myself and at least one or two other coaches on the podcast, and we'll talk about the idea, and that way you'll get a couple different viewpoints. And now today's podcast, um, which Jim Hayden is going to join me for. Jim, thank you for taking time out of your day. Hey, my pleasure, Dave. So we're going to focus on cost of delay, and this is a fairly selfish podcast. So cost of delay is something that I really struggle with. Um, It's something that's been around for a while, and I hear a lot of people talk about it, and it's always seemed kind of vague to me. And the more that I try to get people to explain it to me, the more I tend to get confused. So there's going to be a couple different podcasts on this topic. This first podcast, Jim and I are going to talk about the subject more from a conceptual standpoint, different ways to understand what cost of delay actually is. So if you are somebody who's deeply in the school of Reinertsen and you're super into cost of delay and you want to go into the formulas and things like that, that's going to be stuff that we talk about in a later podcast. The intention of this one is really to focus more just on what is it as an idea some simple examples of how this might play out in an organization. Um, We are a little bit, we just want to be cautious in case there's anybody who's deeply in this school that wants to get all hardcore about it. We're not at that. We're not taking that part of the topic on yet. So Jim, have I got, have I set it up well enough that we're safe? That's a a fair way of saying it. We're (laughs) not, we're not going to be schoolhouse. You know, this, this conversation won't be strictly schoolhouse way, you know, weighted shortest job first or cost of delay. uh, All the, what Reinertsen has in his book. We'll, we'll talk about that, but just wanted more broadly talk about the conception or the concept itself. Yeah, and we'll get into those other topics later, but this is just, like I said, it's a little bit selfish. For people like me who struggle with understanding what it is, we want to talk about it at a conceptual level. So here we go. Great. Can you tell the folks who are listening a little bit about what you do for Leading Agile? I'm an enterprise transformation consultant. I help uh, organizations uh, that are desiring to get more predictable and to get uh, higher quality uh, software out the door uh, more effectively. I just help them do that. So we create a rational system of delivery form. Cool. All right. Now, thank you for doing that. And let's start off with what is cost of delay? Cost of delay is a concept that helps us decide if I have a choice between two things, which should I do first? Okay. That sounds really simple. Mm Mm-hmm. But when people try to explain so, it, is where it gets kind of sideways for me. So, can okay. you elaborate? Give me, uh, give me like one example, one simple example. Uh, okay, a simple example. Uh, if you were, let's say, a laptop manufacturer, and you've got a um, window for back to school coming in September, and you want to get your new laptop out in the market so all these new college students can buy the latest and greatest laptop that you have to offer and they're going to take it to school, and you miss that window. The cost of delay 
for instance, uh, would be whatever whatever sales you lose, whatever market share you lose by um, not being able to to hit that window. That's one way of looking at cost of delay. Uh, a Another way of looking at a cost of delay is saying, I've got two projects. One's going to take me um, uh, a little bit of time to get done, but it's going to give me a, a lot of effort or, or a lot of, lot of value. I'm going to make a lot of money. Uh, or I've got this other project that uh, is going to take a much longer time and has less overall value. Uh, which would you do first? If you decide to do the one that takes you a little bit longer time, um, then you're going to delay the value of achieving that second project by whatever that time is. And it's kind of like calculating that. If you're doing it graphically, it's calculating that space. Here's my value times, the the amount of time that I delayed getting to that value. So so it sounds like, to try to simplify it a little bit for myself, or at least explain the way it's rolling around in my head right now, it's a lost mm-hmm. opportunity cost. Um, like I could make this much money if I had this thing ready by this time, or I could wait and then make this much money later on. It is an opportunity cost in, in a sense. So uh, you have a certain amount of bandwidth. You can only do one thing. You have to make a choice between doing one thing or the, or the other thing. You're deferring you know, that revenue from that, that second thing that you're going to want to do by the length of time it takes you to do the first. And that is basically what they call the cost of delay. It's, it's what am I deferring, uh, and it's, it's expressed over a period of time, and it's an amount. So, so to go back to the laptop example, um, if mm-hmm. I'm the manufacturer, and let's say I can launch that laptop in the earliest I could possibly launch it, let's say it was June, because I want it out in time you know, before summer so I can get the marketing going and people buy it for school. So mm-hmm. if I launch it in June from the point, let's say it's June 1st I launch, then from that point on, I can theoretically begin capturing revenue for the sales of that product. But if I decide mm-hmm. that because of some f- certain features I want to include in it, I'm going to wait or something else is you know in play in the portfolio that's going to push that back, I don't launch it till July, then I'm losing all that, potentially losing all that money I would have made in June. You're not really d- losing the money you, you lose in June because it's going to have a ramp up. Okay. So, yes, you're losing that money um, in June, but you're starting in July. What you're really losing is the full-up ramped-up value that you would be gaining in December. So if you, you said what, so if you just described a curve, you're, you start making money in June, you make more money in Ju- July, more money in August, then about September, it spikes, you get a whole bunch of money, and then it, it tapers off or it, it kind of goes to steady state. And here's the, here's the total amount of money that you would make over the, between June and the remainder of the year. Okay. Okay. If I start ramping up later, if I delay a month, my ramp up may be slower. So there's loss right there. Okay. And my top end amount of money that I'm going to get for the remainder of the year is going to at least be one month less yeah. because I started a month later. And so my, the total amount of money under that curve, you know, that's my, that's my cost of delay. Right. Okay. That, so that's a, that's a very pragmatic cost of delay. You know, what, what's my, what, what's my impact? What am I going to lose? Um, if I decided to defer getting something into the market a month later, now you may say that the value of what I'm going to get by, by waiting for a month, I am, have a hypothesis that I'm, you know, I'm going to get this one last feature and it's going to actually make it much more desirable and I'll actually make collectively more money. Okay. That 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 right there is the decision you have to make. 
So, so if I say that if I'm going to launch this laptop and I think I'm going to make just to pick a number, a hundred thousand dollars a month. If I launch in June, it's a hundred thousand dollars a month. Let's say through October, um, it's going to increase mm-hmm. at some point, but on average, it's a hundred thousand dollars a month. So that means I got June, July, August, September, October. That's five months. That's five hundred thousand dollars. If I add this other feature in and I wait until July, then I can charge more for the laptop. So then I'm saying I might make $150,000 a month, but only July through October. Correct. But here's the, here's the wrinkle. What if a competitor launches something in that meantime and some of those potential customers that would have bought your, um, your computer don't buy it and they buy something else? And so while you can sell it more, while you could sell it for more, you may actually sell it to fewer people overall. Yeah, so so Jim and I, for those of you listening, Jim and I were talking. We got prepared for this interview to make sure that we had some good <laughs> examples ready. And when we were going back and forth, um, one of the challenges is that Jim and I tend to look at this in different ways. And in this particular example that he's saying where if I launch later, then somebody else might come and steal my customers – I would say a good example of that could be the iPhone 7 with the headphones, which didn't launch until a couple months after the phone came out. So what that means is Absolutely. that folks who buy the Bluetooth bought, headphones, yeah, pe- folks who bought the iPhone 7, let's say you know they don't have, they can't plug in anymore, um, and they don't want to use the Lightning connector, so they need Bluetooth headphones. The Apple ones aren't available, so they go to Bose and they buy a bunch of the the Quiet Comfort headphones, and now Apple has lost the potential revenue. For the headphones, so it's not just how much they didn't sell, but it's also how much, how many customers are they going to lose to a competitor? Yeah. So they're going to have to make a business decision about what the right choice is. There, do we launch with something buggy and try to get the money anyway, or do we wait because we want to maintain the integrity of the brand and launch something that's more solid a little bit later and assume we'll get those customers back? Yeah. Now, in in terms of the cost of delay, the 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 precise, you know, Reinertsen version of the cost of delay. It's saying, it's a concept that says, what am I deferring? And so, you know, we do projects to get, you know, to put value on the table. So the cost of delay of saying, you know, let's describe it um, with a vertical axis being my value and the horizontal axis being my time that's going to take to produce it. I could, I could, I could visually depict those, um, those projects, you know, A, B, and C as, as rectangles. Okay. Um, I could have a project that's going to be um, low value relatively to the other, other two, and it's going to take a longer time, let's say. Um, so if I were to look at that visually, it looks like a rectangle that's on its side. Okay. It's, it, vertically, it's really short, but it's, horizontally, it's, it's pretty wide. I could have a second project that looks like a square. It's it's you know four times as big as the other one, and it's it's a quarter of the distance you know lengthwise. So I've got this square um, that I've got, and then I've got this this really tall vertical rectangle. It, you know horizontally it's very narrow, um, but vertically it's very tall. A is a, is the the rectangle on the side. B is the the um, the square. C is the vertical rectangle. If you're mindful of the cost of delay. What order would you do those projects? Okay. So which which projects? So if, if A is the rectangle that's laying on its side, it's going to take you a long time before, and you're going to get a little bit of value. Right. You've got another one that's that's uh, it looks like a square. It's got a, a medium amount of value and a medium length in time, and you've got another one that gives you a whole bunch of value in a little short period of time. 
which one would you choose to do first? And and I'm assuming that the decision-making process is not solely about revenue, because like in the Apple example, there's other factors that, that come into it, not just what are we going to lose to our competitors, but what's the brand loyalty like? What's the chances of, um, it, you know, if Apple launches something that's buggy, people that are Apple fanboys freak out because they don't, they expect better Absolutely. product from Apple. So there can be a, a, a different kind of impact. Yeah, all those factors could be in the value. And in fact, the value may be less based on when you you leave. But let's just let's assume it's all equal right now. If if you're just looking at those three rectangles, sure, the one that's on its side, the square, and the the really skinny, really tall one, yeah, and and the, and the height equals money that you can put in your bank. Okay, which one would you do first? I would I would think the most intelligent decision would be whichever one's going to bring in the most revenue overall. But again, there could be other business concerns as well. Like maybe it's a startup that just yeah. has to survive. Yeah, but let's just, let's just keep it simple. Let's just keep okay. it. Just about revenue. equals money in the bank. Yeah. Just about revenue, money in the bank. Um, a, B, and C, which one would you do first? Whichever one's going to push the needle the highest. I mean, you're talking about rectangles and squares, and I have a little trouble visualizing that in my head. But if we were going to look at each product – What's the total the revenue? Of, let's say, just say the height of the, yeah, but let's just talk about the height of it. And let's argue that, that's, that we're talking total revenue, yeah. even. Okay. Total, total amount of value that you get lifetime. Yeah. Let's say, let's even do it that way. I would pick C first because relative to the other two, it's the least amount of effort, but I get the most bang for my buck. Yeah. And then the remaining two are the square and the, the really long um, rectangle. I would choose to do the square next because... Again, moderate effort, lower, less overall effort or time, let's say, say time, less overall time to get to um, that next pile of money, which, again, is bigger than, than that long, skinny rectangle, rectangle. That's laying on its side. Okay. And if you were to kind of use the upper right corners, you know, so you kind of stack them, you know, run one right next to the other one where you join um, corner to corner to corner, that kind of describes the money as it comes in your bank account, right? Yeah. And so... I would do the I would do the, the one that takes me a little bit of time and gives me a whole lot of money. Then I do the next one that takes me a little bit more time but gives me more money still. And then choice, I do that one that takes me a long time and gives me that last little bit of money. Okay. But I may kind of, I, I've got an, a fourth rectangle that pops up. Yeah. So and how do we decide cho- about I, that I'm, one? I'm just fit. Well, yeah, but here's the thing. So if if that next one that pops up looks like another square, it's it's a multiple of the re- of the value that you would get with that small rectangle, and you get it a shorter time. I would pick the square. I'd do that square next. And so the cost of delay is, you know, as I shove that, that skinny rectangle along the ground, I just keep on kicking it down the street. Yeah. The value that I'm deferring is I'm deferring getting that, you know, getting that value by however much length of time it takes me to do the other project that I in, insert in the middle of there, right? That's okay. my cost of delay. So you would be looking at how much how much are you deferring making for one product over an, one project or whatever over another as you decide which things you're going to work on right now within the organization. Yeah. I mean I don't I think I'd really overthink it's just it's an ROI decision. I've got two things I like to figure out which do I do first. I mean you you've you've said that there's many factors that would go into a decision. Yeah. But if we're just strictly looking at at you know top in revenue, you know, here's a, here's a bunch of money, you know, or here's a benefit that I'm going to accrue by getting this project done. Yeah. It's taking that value and considering it. And it's also considering how much time or effort am I going to have to apply to get to it? And then using that as a way to say, well, what do I do first? So when you're talking about time and effort, does that mean that you would, I mean, in, in practically applying this, would you also be factoring in 
what is the organization's actual burn for doing this? So I'm trying not to use the word cost, but in terms of time and effort, it's going to cost me a certain amount of money to build this thing. And am mm-hmm. I then subtracting that from the revenue or am I just looking at that as a separate factor? Uh, I, th- I think that would be that, that factor would be considered both in, you know, in that vertical, um, in the, in the amount of money that you make it, you know, probably the best way to say this, this might, the debt amount of money that I expect to make. Okay. You know, so I, I could factor in the cost. I can do one thing that, that makes me a bunch of money, but it takes a bunch of people. Um, that effort, not only is it time, but it's, it's bandwidth of my organization. Um, if I had two similar things that, you know, could make me the same top end type of revenue, but one required a little bit of bandwidth yeah. and one required a lot of bandwidth. Well, do the one that requires a little bit of bandwidth of your time okay, or, or you know, resources. You know, that, that applies third dimension to it, as it were. Yeah. So at the simplest level, we're talking about if I'm deciding between a couple of different projects that I'm going to work on, which one is going to bring in the most revenue, but there's other factors that that can be worked into the decision about value, which could be how much it's going to cost the organization over time in terms of maybe labor or parts or lost brand or lost customers or customers gained. Um, like, let's say that, that you are going to, you've got that long thing that's going to take a long time and bring you the least amount of revenue. But if that's going to help you gain more customer base, which will serve the organization better over time, then maybe that would be something that would be factored in as well, correct? Well, absolutely. But see, so, so your vertical axis, if I was describing it graphically, your vertical axis could be the value. It doesn't have to necessarily be revenue. It could be revenue plus these other kind of value things that you want. In any way, you're, you're trying to create a, a almost like a rubric or a way that says, how do I, when I have these disparate types of things that I could do that, that have value that are calculated in a different way, um, how, can I, how can I get myself in a way that, we all can, you know, we'll, we'll all agree that this is how we're going to, when we're choosing between projects, which one comes first. And it's, it's basically, I don't want to say normalizing it, but it's giving your, it's giving your organization a standard the ability to kind of a stand. Well, a standard, but it says, that, you know, there's plenty of ways that we could choose to rank these things. Yeah. This is the way we're choosing to rank it. And therefore no one argues with it. It's fair. Um, you could weight different factors. You could do all sorts of different things. But it's a way to get past all the kind of precise kind of things that everyone likes to argue about. Yeah. And you get stuck in a rut. It gives you a way to kind of say, hey, you know, we, we really value flowing work. We really value making a decision. You know, we want to flow value. Um, how is it that we pick what do we do next? One of the things that helps facilitate this from an agile standpoint is that we take these big, big blocks of things that we do and we um, decompose and break them apart. Um, you know, oftentimes we'll use epics and features and stories. Sure. Um, but that's, that's the batch size that we do in, you know, big upfront planning, traditional waterfall serial development type projects. We have this big batch. And it's hard when you're halfway through that effort and something new comes up. It's like, well, where do you stop things or how do you, how do you pivot? Um, it's really difficult. In an agile standpoint, when we're, we're flowing smaller batches, then we have the ability to say this is valuable we're at a, at a logical stopping point. We can pivot and do this next thing that's really valuable and then come back, on, you know, later make a business decision, pick up this other thing that we had been working on. We can pick it back up again. And this kind of process feeds into that. So this is one of the things that I wanted to ask you about. So in all the classes that I teach, I always ask, you know, how many of you have a technique for prioritization? And almost no one ever does when they come into CSM or CSPO. They don't know how their organization prioritizes. And 
I try to give them a couple techniques in the class. They have dartboards? Well, yeah, it's usually, you know, who's the, <laughs> who's the angry, loud executive? Um, yeah. But if they decide, if an organization decides they want to go with cost of delay, it sounds to me like it would be wise to first sit down and discuss how you're going to define value and cost of delay. Like, are we going to say this is – we're only going to look at revenue or we're going to look at revenue plus our spend to get there? Or we're going to look at, you know, whatever other factors that like we've talked about a couple different ones, but gaining clarity yeah, on that, almost, almost like a, the same way you want to have a definition of done and a definition of ready, clarity on what we mean by value and cost of delay would be very important to whoever's making those prioritization decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's expressing, here's how we're going to work well and play well with each other. Yeah. When we have to make these kind of decisions... We're going to pre-decide how, you know, what are the factors that we're going to use to, to evaluate things. And then it becomes very dispassionate. We, you know, it is what it is. And then, you know, if we use this to rank order the efforts that we want, and then we go around the edges, there's, there's some, well, you know, these things are almost close enough. I mean, I know mathematically in our rubric, it, you know, our model, it says that this should come first or that. Well, if you want to swap it, then swap it. But instead of getting into all these kind of petty arguments about things because someone has their pet kind of aspect that they consider more valuable. Yeah. We're, we're going to take as a group who are responsible for this, you know, flowing value. We're going to all agree that that flowing value for the organization is something that's valuable. It it helps us as an organization and it helps us be more responsive to our clients, uh, more responsive to the market. If we flow stuff and don't get it stuck, we're going to choose this method to say, which comes first, which comes next. I think this is really important, and I just want to stay on this for a second because there's a, a couple of things sure. I want to mention. So in in the PO classes especially, one of the things that I try to focus on is that for a product owner to not know, to not have a technique for prioritization, I mean, the, the job of product owner is terribly scary because they're always making these decisions without enough information. And if they're responding to an executive's gut or whoever's the loudest, then if I'm telling you no, if I'm the PO and you're the stakeholder, if I tell you no – if I don't have a technique, then all you're hearing is Dave told me no. But if it's, we came up with this set of metrics ahead of time and this thing didn't move the needle, then it's not my fault. It's just the fact that the thing that you want didn't move the needle and you've got to figure out a way to make it look like it moves the needle. Um, and that, yeah. that, that goes to the second thing that I think is important to also call out is that for a while, the Agile folks started to talk about, oh, you know, we measure by value. And I'd say, how do you calculate value? And they'd say, well, we look at the value. Well, what do you use to measure that? Value. And it was this thing with no answer. And what I've noticed over the past probably two, three years is that when when value is a vague thing, one of the go-tos is, well, let's look at cost of delay. And that's become very popular. But it's not like a hard metric. It's something that you're still going to have to define for your organization and how you're, what, what factors you're going to include. Like, is it just revenue or is it these other things as well? Absolutely. And you agree on what, you know, what are the factors and how much do I weight those factors? Yeah. Which is most important to us. And uh, you know, this, this right here, this other factor, you know, it gets 20%, you know, or this other factor, you know, is at least 50% of it comes from here. And it's just you're agreeing as an organization, you, you know, this is how we're going to choose to prioritize work because we don't want to spend forever trying to figure out arguing which comes next. It's more valuable versus put it in order and then start working, cranking it out. 
Cool. All right. So I, can, I want to ask you if you can explain this one different, one other way, um, based on the conversations we had before. So when we were talking originally, one of the examples that you gave was, I've got this, this group of stuff, and I can launch it all at once at the end of the year, or I can decide to launch some of it partway through the year. Can you, can you walk through that example in case that helps folks understand this better? Um, yeah, well, so let's just take a mind experiment. Let's say that over the course of a year, we're going to have these 12 perfect projects. Okay. Okay. I could, I, I'll start these 12, and they're going to go swimmingly well. Every one of these projects is going to meet its entire scope. It's going to be on budget, on schedule. We, we start um, on January 1st, and we end on December 31st. Okay. Now, while we're working through the entirety of the year, we don't get any of that value. Right, we don't get until it's, it's it's done. It's it's in our customers' hands. So we got these twelve efforts yeah. that are going. Let, let's let's argue though. Let's let's say that if I only focused on six of the the first six, I could actually get them all done June thirtieth, and then I could pick up the next six, the, the last six of the of the twelve, and I still end up finishing them on December thirty first, like I did. In the first time, in those two scenarios, which one would you say is was appropriate? Because would I would I work on all twelve to, concurrently and then drop them all on December thirty first? They're all done, perfect projects on budget, you know, on time. Yeah. Or would I do the six, get them done in June thirtieth, pick up the latter six and get them done by June thirty first? Which would you prefer to do? Well, you'd want I would want to to launch this stuff earlier and start making some money back. Right. And, 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 and the decision to work all 12 at the same time, in, in effect, is a cost of delay, right? You're deferring making that money because you made that decision to work on everything all at once and in, increase your whip. So it's almost like you're applying logic to all the scientific studies that already show multitasking is bad. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, this is, this is another cost. Well, see, now, strictly speaking to Reinertsen, is that cost of delay? Maybe, maybe not. Okay. Um, at least not how he explains it in his principles of product development flow, but um, but in a very pragmatic, real sense, that decision to work on twelve things concurrently, you incurred a cost of delay, right? Yeah. yeah. Because you deferred making that money for six months. Okay. Now here's a, here's a, I'll, let me throw another wrinkle in. You've got all twelve of those projects all working at the same time, and now you in, insert a thirteenth project in July, and you've got twelve projects that are all halfway done. Right. And you go, well, you might as well just shove another project in amongst, you know, start another project. Okay. What can it hurt? Well, what, what, if you take bandwidth from the other 12 to work on that 13th project, what by definition has to happen to the other 12 projects? They all get pushed back as well. They all get delayed, right? So yeah. there's going to be, you know, that, that decision to shove that project in there also is pragmatically for me. Yeah is a cost of delay too. I, I've, I've made a decision that has now resulted in me deferring the ability to get something done. Now, now okay. I know there's other techniques that we can use to kind of claw that back. We can go, well, how can I, how can I get this other project done more simply? And there's, there's other things that we can do. But to me, that's a very pragmatic kind of cost of delay kind of thing as well. And I just, I want to point out that, that adding that 13th project it sounds like really simple that that's a stupid thing to, to to work that way because you're just not going to finish anything until forever. It sounds very waterfall, but 
there might be very sound business reasons for injecting that 13th project and pushing everything else out. Like if I inject that 13th project, then when they all do launch, it's going to just jack the revenue right through the ceiling. Yeah. Well, yeah. But so let's say that you were in the former, let's say that you had the same situation. You had 12 projects, but let's say you did six of them and you got them done in June. And then July 1st is 13th project comes in and now you've got this thing that's going to jack your revenue through the roof. I mean, here's the thing where you can go, I, I've got these six other projects I'm getting ready to start that I promised to get done this year. I've got this this seventh new thing to come in. It's, it's really valuable. Now you have the option to sit there. You, you've already started to make revenue on the first six that you got done, right? Right. Because you were, you were mindful of the cost of delay and, and you operated in that fashion. So you got a bunch of stuff done. You're now getting ready to pick up six other projects and you go, man, I got this seventh project that's really awesome. It's going to make me a lot of money. You have decisions like, wow, which of these six other projects are the least value that maybe I can just not even do it? And I'm going to re- remove and replace. I'm going to take the seventh project and it's going to, it's going to, I'm going to um, stop one of these projects so I can pivot those people to work on this new project. Now, maybe, maybe stop two projects. So in that example, am I also going to be looking at th- how much I've spent? Does that factor into it as well? I mean, I've already burned through a bunch of money. Do we, do we include that in the calculation as well? Because there's all those uh, examples, his, the history about? of all those, uh, history of all the projects where like we've spent all this, we've spent so much money on this thing, we can't stop doing it, right? You're just, you're talking about an example here where let's say we're six months in, we've got all this time spent, we want to include some new stuff. So we're going to have to decide, well, some of these things we're going to drop a couple of the projects, but we've sunk, we've got sunk costs in all these projects. Well, maybe in, that, in the example where I said I work on six, got them done. Then I'm going to start the next six. It's different than I'm working on 12 all at the same yeah, time. Yeah, I'm assuming, right? let's say I'm working on the 12 all at the same time. Um, and I decide well, that I'm okay. going to bring something in and it's so significant, I'm going to take two out. But I've already spent a lot of time and effort and money building those those things that I'm going to ditch. Does the sunk cost get calculated in or is yep. that just another factor? It that is. We look? You know, some people do, some people don't. Okay. Frankly, I, I'm kind of the, you know... Don't don't cry over spilled milk. Okay, <laughs> you know. Yeah, you know, just okay. Okay, yeah, you spent it. Okay, it's gone. Whatever. But you're here right now. I don't know that I would consider all the money that that's been spent to this point as a reason to not, you know, to defer doing something that I really know I ought to do. You know, going God, I got to finish these projects again with the logic that makes no sense, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> ah, you know, I'm kind of twisted. I don't well, know. it's, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm making jokes, but it's, it's funny because a lot of business decisions do seem to flow that way. Like we just have well, to stick with it. And it's, it runs counter to everything. Like if you just stopped and, and did the most responsible thing, what you're describing sounds a lot more intelligent than let's just keep doing it. Cause we've already been doing it. Well, I don't know if it's more intelligent. I mean, look, there's all these kind of sayings out there, you know, if you're in a hole, don't, you know, and you, you don't like being in a hole, quit digging or, you know, don't throw good money after bad or don't cry over spilled milk. I mean, there's all these kind of ways of, of expressing that idea. Yeah. Um, you know, now it's, it's it's overly simplified. I'm painting with a really broad brush on this, but conceptually, I mean, that's that's really what you're dealing with. Okay. The problem is here, here's the, here's the big thing though is that we we value starting things, not finishing things, and this is what we find in a lot of the organizations that are trying to go to where we're going from an agile transformation standpoint. They've got way too much many things started. They value starting things, not finishing things, and they're always faced with these these new things that come up. 
and they've got the whole laundry list of half-baked things. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and not only the half-baked, they're all being done in these really big batches. So, you know, for this half-bakedness, there's nothing that you can actually, that's even usable out of it. I can't park it someplace. I can't, I can't, you know, it's not a basic functionality that exists that I could use or leverage or whatnot. They're all halfway done. You know, in Agile, when we start um, chunking things into smaller chunks, we're always trying to get to something that's actually working and tested and could actually potentially be actually leveraged and used. So we're always coming to this natural conclusion, natural stopping point that if we do need to pivot, we have something that we could actually, you know, something you can show for put it out there. And it, yeah, something to show for it. So I think, I think that that's, even though it sounds common sense, that's an important thing for an organization to consider. Like if I was somebody working in an organization and wanted to start to do this, I mean, that sounds like a pretty reasonable song to start singing is let's actually finish some stuff, <laughs> get some kind of value for the work that we're doing instead of just working forever and waiting until that magical day when it all actually happens. Because even in the example that you gave where everything's going to happen perfectly, that never, ever happened. No, of course not. So there's yeah, always going to be that stuff that comes in. Well, yeah, there's always going to be stuff that comes in. And frankly, the way of working always, in my experience, I'll, I won't say always because I, I can't, can't say always, but um, the, it's got a high probability that you're going to discover things late. And even, you know, we rarely have those perfect projects that are absolutely on schedule, on budget, on time. Right. You know, Murphy exists. And if there were an opportunity to find something late, you're, you're going to find something late and it's going to, it's going to cause you to, you know, miss deadlines. Um, you're going to have to offload scope. Things aren't going to work out the way you want, which is why from an agile standpoint, we're always trying to make these smaller batches and get something, you know, that's no kidding done. It's actually working. Yeah. I, you know, my, my, my measurement of progress is something that actually works. This is great. I, I really appreciate you going through this. I hope for the folks listening that this was helpful. Um, so, so one thing I just want to mention really quick, if you are listening and you want to learn more about this, um, the Don Reinertsen book, which I'll include a link to, is The Principles of Product Development Flow. And um, I'm also going to include a link to Derek Heather's blog post about cost of delay as an introduction to cost of delay. And another great source online, at least when I was kind of looking into this, is Black Swan Farming. Um, that website has an explanation of cost of delay and how it's all supposed to work. So, um, Jim, what if folks want to get in touch with you with more questions about this? What's the best way for them to, to do that? Oh, they can email me, um, jim.hayden at leadingagile.com. Uh, you can find me on, on our website. Contact me that way. Okay, cool. Hey, thanks a lot for doing this. I really appreciate it. I feel yeah, my pleasure. I have a slightly better grasp on it than I did before, so I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Cool. Thanks, man. Hey, you take care. Bye.